Hello and welcome to episode 162 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Stanislav, did I just see during this opener that you just turned around and reprimanded your cat? That's right. I got my little spray bottle right here. So just not even breaking stride. I had to do that this morning with my cat. Look at the size of the gap that I had to shoot my cat through, and he was on the other side of that door. So you have it more like a jet, not a mist. Oh, yeah. No, I'm I'm going. I'm shooting to hit that boy. We're going to have some people be like, you can't spray water at your cats, but I'll tell you what, it's, 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 it's nonviolent. They just don't like the noise. But Stanislav, it's good to see you. I'm, I'm glad that we're able to come together every week and record the dive down with each other. Indeed. I'm also happy that joining us all the way from a nice steak dinner, it's the Godfather, Dave Harbarger. Oh. <laughs> I didn't think Would I was you... going to make it, and then I made it. I ate the whole old 96er, I got the t-shirt, and then I rolled my way <laughs> back west out of Chicago into the western suburbs to be able to be with here with you all tonight, and I didn't even miss anything. I thought I would miss something, but here I am. So Dave, what... What did you get? What sides did you get? I got the old 96er. That's it. Did you on? Is that really a thing? No, it's from the great outdoors. John C- John Candy, everybody. I mean, I I don't think I've seen that movie. What? Okay. Uh, yeah. You know, the sides that you get at Bivette's, you get a wedge salad, you get a bone-in strip. Yeah, Bivette's Bar uh, and Booth sponsor our podcast. You get the Brussels sprouts, you get the corn, you get the mashed potatoes, you get the mac and cheese. Man, their Brussels sprouts are so good. They really are. And you, and you had room for a steak after that? Yeah, I, alongside it. Yeah, the side of steak. Mm-hmm. I had a side of steak. That's how, That's what they're known for. Fill up on bread rolls before your first bite of meat? No, I did a good job with that. That's that's amateur. That's good. Well, glad I can make it, everybody. Sorry if you, if I make any uh, gastrointestinal noises while we're all sitting here. <laughs> it's my, my, uh, my fault. I think Dave is at his best when he's full of red meat. On this week's show, we're breaking down the weekend's modern showcase challenge. A lot of strong competitors earned some QPs, and they put their skills to the test. And we're going to talk about who did well and what the metagame looked like. We're also going to continue exploring some of the latest cards from Neon Dynasty to appear in Historic, Modern, maybe Pioneer. In another edition of Sleeve Believe Heave, don't stop sleeve heaving. And then finally, if time allows, Shane played in a pro quest over the weekend with this new up and coming card game. It's called Flesh and Blood. Are we really going to talk? We're, man, if we have time for that, I'll be amazed, but I will definitely talk about it. If we have time for that, Shane will tell us all about this new card game. Flesh and, is it bone? Flesh uh, and it, bone in? It is. It is flesh and blood. That's that show on Netflix that has the weird steampunk trains and ghosts. Like a weird Thomas the Tank Engine? Shadow and Bone, I think it's called. (laughs) Thomas and Bone. Before all that, though, let's housekeep ever so quickly. Shout out to the newest patron to join the Dive Down Nation, Zach B. Thank you so much. Zach actually sent us a little bit of a pronunciation guide for some of the new Kamigawa cards. So Zach will try to do you proud there. Really? Also, thank you to Seamless Loop for providing the latest iTunes review. For the the dive call down. to action worked. We got seamless loop. Five more stars. Count them to the pile. Just banking them like Mario over here. And if you'd like to support the dive down, you can find us at patreon.com slash the dive down, where you can 
join for as little as $1 per episode to get access to our exclusive, definitively discreet dive down Discord server. Come and talk with everybody, all the members of the nation. We'd love to have you hop on in. There's other great stuff going on. Uh, when I joined the call earlier, Shane and Stan were talking logistics about sending out Patreon swag. It's coming up. Uh, deck boxes are coming up. We got all kinds of stuff coming up here now that spring has sprung, and so has the dive down. Patreon.com slash the dive down. <laughs> it happens every spring. We spring every spring. I mean, you gotta. If you don't, you're just going straight to summer, and that's not fun. We also are brought to you by Managerators.com. Use sign up code the dive down 2022 for 15% off your first two months. I've noticed that they keep adding a few new cool features that I like, where it's just like slightly cleaner interface, different ways of like requesting cards. You can like download, you can easily download the deck list that you want to use. Like, oh man, I need to like rent these cards and I have to go back and like find the deck list. It's just a lot easier and seamless. You've always been able to do that. I'd just like to say really quickly, it just the button was kind of hidden. But yes, now, it's a better button, better your, layout. On your renting screen, yeah, they queue you up, they're looking for your cards. You hit a button when the queue is ready to pick the bot when the bot is going to come look for you. So you don't have you can be ready when they come look for you instead of having that weird thing where they look for you automatically. And then also there's a button there to download what you just rented as a Magic Online deck list. It's very, very nice. I saw that upgrade too, Shane. Awesome. So if you have been thinking about using Magic Online, but you're like, I don't really want to have to deal with buying cards there, having a second collection... You definitely want to use Mana Traders. It makes it very easy and reasonable to have access to basically every card in the universe. And uh, yeah, if you want, if you want Poseidon, they have at least four with your name on them. I'd heard that they did only have like eight of this turtle card that's very big in Legacy now, but that's for another, oh, like another the, time, the, maybe. The one with a giant cannon on mm -hmm. his shoulder. Yeah, yeah, it's like Kappa Blastoise. Yeah, it's because those cards are impossible to acquire. They're only available in chests. Yeah, yeah. So that means they have to be cracking chests. And getting a whole bunch of nothing. Always open your chests, everybody. Remember that. <laughs> what do you think Mana Traders does with the play points that you get from opening chests? Oh, man. They just, just, just burn them off, and they are uh, they got some people who are, are ringers, I guess, using their account. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Good question. Good answer. All right. So this week, as Stan mentioned, we're going to be taking a look at last weekend's Modern Showcase Challenge. This is Modern Showcase Challenge number two, February 19th, 2022. Not sure if there was a number one or potentially a number three. Didn't see any, <laughs> any posts about that on, uh, on Reddit. But um, as usual, there's an excellent breakdown on Reddit of this tournament, courtesy of the one, the only Bam Zing, the unofficial fourth co-host of the Dive Down, who provides us with all of our, our uh, real-time breakdowns of tournaments such as these. Uh, you can also find it on the Wizards of the Site Coast, of course. But I think there's a lot of interesting things in this one. So let's take a look at the top 32 breakdown from Bamzing for this Modern Showcase Challenge. What do you think, Stan and Shane? What, the break that you just want me to like look at this and just like immediately... Are you excited to look at this? Oh, always. No, so so what, what, what's funny is you said Wizards of the Site Coast. <laughs> I did. <laughs> yes. It was very good. Oh, good. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm steak. I have steak tummy right now. So, you know, I'm it's a, a, I'm a steak man. Distracting. You're, you're, all your blood is in your tummy. Exactly. All right. So With the meat. there were a number of decks in this top 32, but only some of them were in multiple. So let's take a look at that first. The number one deck played in the top 32 of this showcase challenge. And again, remember a showcase challenge, as Stan alluded to earlier, is a tournament that you have to pay for with QPs. Right, Stan? So it's not tickets, it's not play points. You have to get QPs in order to get into it. So this is good players in this tournament. Right. So this is basically 
uh, league grinders who are going 3-1 or better enough to generate 40 QPs that way, or people who've spiked a prelim. So if you get a 3-1 or a 4-0 in a prelim, it gets you... A 4-0 gets you all the way in. A single 4 As you would know. Yeah, Correct. as you would know. A single 4-0 gets you 40 PPs or QPs, and then a 3-1, I think, gets you 20? 20 or 30? Nice. But yeah. All right. So, the at any rate, the number one deck that was brought by players to this tournament was four copies of Four Color Blink. And let's talk about who brought this. It was... Bob the Dog, better known as Gabe Nassif, Canister, Jabberwocky, and Baron of Bacon, who I think is another well-known Magic Online grinder, all brought this deck, some of the most notable names in Magic Online. But here's the thing. These four-color blink decks, okay, you got Yorian, right? Like, they're 80-card 80, they're 80 decks. Are we really in a world where we just run Ragavan and Omnath in the same deck and, like, that's cool with everybody? Because, gosh, I hate looking at this <laughs> list i don't like these decks i don't like to play these decks i don't like to play against them this really is just good money cards dot deck did you just say ragavans are in these decks too? yeah 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 i mean this is it's largely just mh1 and mh2 cards yeah so if you haven't seen one of these decks lace recently i'm looking at gabe nasif's list it's four to fairy time raveler four ren and six two fury three ice fang quaddle four omnath four ragavan four solitude four expressive iteration four prismatic ending four counterspell one lightning bolt one March of Otherworldly Light, two Memory Deluge, three Unholy Heat, four Abundant Abundant Growth, and two Spreading Seas. Um, Gosh. Oh, I see. So so basically they're swapping Ragavan for the Eternal Witness combo. Yeah, and none of these players are playing the Eternal Witness combo in this one, even though Jabberwocky's deck is a little bit bigger than everybody else's in that he is playing Teferi 5 over Ragavan. So no Eternal Witness combo and no Ragavan in Jabberwocky's list, but generally the same shell other, other than that. That's, that's interesting. I wonder if part of this is because Ragavan can help set up some faster kills, potentially, or just like a more proactive gameplay early on. Because if you're leaning on Eternal Witness, Time Warp, Ephemerate, it just takes forever. And yeah. even though you might think the deck is really proactive with Solitudes and Omnaths, those cards get answered a lot in this mid-rangey format and closing out games, even though you may be in a winning position, can still sometimes take forever. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's just, it's mana fixing for one thing, too, mm-hmm. right? It's ramp, yep. so it lets you get Omnath out earlier. It also, it's just, you know, th- this is not, it's sort of a control deck, but it's very much, like, it's almost like these are mid-rangey decks in some ways, like you said, and they're playing all of the best mid-range threats that are in the format basically and all the best interaction the best counter spell and it's just one deck that's got all those great things in it um but boy even though i think i could field this deck if i wanted to i don't really feel like this is on the menu for stuff that i would want to pick up and play personally stan this seems like it could be close to your wheelhouse though have you how have you how do you feel like you've never become quite a, a blinks person ever well, I played the Eternal Witness version for a few weeks, and it, it was really, really fun. I just kept losing to the clock. And my opponents would just, they would be losing, but they would still end up winning because it just was impossible to actually deal 20 points of damage. So it is really fun. And maybe it's something that, with a little bit of practice and paper, you can get better at. Or maybe this new Ragavan technology is kind of the thing that helps you unlock a more faster plan because you're 
casting Omnaths a turn sooner, maybe ca- casting Teferi on turn two even, and, and starting to lock opponents out with that. I don't know. But deck is fun. I, I certainly do love it. I just love other decks too. Yeah. Popular deck. All the best cards. Here it is. Also the most popular deck in this tournament in the top 32. Next on the list, no surprise, given the way that things have been working lately, is three Grixis shadow lists. There's actually four shadow lists in this. One of the decks is marked as blue-black control, and it is not blue-black control. It is a shadows deck, a shadow deck that is just demure. We'll talk about that in a minute because the Grixis shadow decks are actually very stock for what you'd expect at this point in time. They're pretty much exactly the cards that you would expect for that the blue black deck is pretty interesting though in the sense that it has uh, a creature suite that is four death shadow three snapcaster mage two turok dread canter and then a heavy counterspell suite it's got archmage's charm and counterspell and drown in the lock and then consider fatal push memory deluge and mishra's bauble is kind of most of the deck the way that it's working right now couple other cards in there as well but i've actually seen this deck i believe so this deck by three zero t-h-r-e-e zero came in 13th place in this showcase i believe that another version of this deck also top aided the sunday challenge yesterday that we are not talking about in depth but it's interesting to see snapcaster mage back on the scene right yeah i mean in this one it's a high value card I mean, whenever it shows up in, in Merktide, I'm never surprised. I'm actually just more surprised at kind of like how far Snappy has fallen mm-hmm. when it does have still so much synergy with what's going on in, in the decks. Yeah. With only nine creatures here, this feels like a control deck with Death Shadows kind of just like your finisher. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's less. it looks less tempo than Grixis does generally. I mean, it's like no tempo. This is like a counterspell. And mm-hmm. removal deck, basically. Three Misha's Bobble is so funny to me. Yeah, you couldn't fit. You couldn't fit the fourth one in. Yeah, just play sixty-one cards. Three, three zero. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So I think that this is all about, of course, just making Luris something, you know. And that's that's what this is. It's like a control Luris shell. Yeah, it's, it's, it took this deck to make Luris into something. I agree, wow. Dave. <laughs> I had a feeling that card would see play eventually. Yeah, you called it out in the spoiler episode, I think, actually. I did. Cat types are always good. Yeah. You thought it would be like a cat tribal recursion piece, but we saw something more. Mm-hmm. A lot of people were planning on bringing back a Johnny's Pride Mates with it. Uh, next on the list, with three copies as well on the top 32, Amulet Titan. This is very much what you would expect. The only thing that I thought was worth mentioning is that the three Amulet Titan players all had between one and two Bosiju main and three total in the 75. So it was either one main, two in the side, or two in the main, one side. Uh, everybody's playing it, though. Other than that, it's Amulet Titan. What do you expect? And kind of like a mild return to Cultivator Colossus, which I feel like has had its ups and downs, and both of these decks are playing, I mean, let's see, two copies, two copies, three copies. Yeah, notice that all of these decks are also Turn Timber Symbiosis decks, which was not always stock. And I think that's you're playing that with your Colossus in particular, since you don't really want Turn Timber and a Karn deck, since you want that Symbiosis to find some real value. Shane, it's a card that you always said was terrible. Here it is. That's not true. I said it was terrible and historic, because it was terrible and historic. Mm. But you like it all right in Amulet and Modern. I mean, do I like anything in Amulet? No. You love everything in Amulet. You love and that's Explore. The truth. 
I love Arboreal Great Great Grazier. Grazier. It's my 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 favorite Seattle based Cheers spinoff. I hear the blues are calling. Uh, all right, number three on the list of prevalence is Blue White Hammer. So Hammer is now a Blue White deck. Surprise! I mean, we've talked about it the last couple of weeks, but it feels like. Maybe it's permanently there right now. Both of the people who made it in the top 32 with Blue White Hammer were in the top eight, and the deck was the uh, tournament was won by a Blue White Hammer deck piloted by Jesse Samick. Um, basically, it's blue for Reality Chip, and then maybe some some number of spell pierces, mostly in the sideboard. Yeah. Occasionally, one or one in the main, I think, has happened. And then Lavinia, the eighth place deck, also had Meddling Mage in the sideboard as well in your Hammer deck. Pretty interesting stuff. The first place Jesse Samek deck playing a one of Restoration Specialist as well. Yeah. Really interesting card. One and a white for a 2-1 Dwarf Artificer. It has white sack specialist return up to one target artifact and up to one target enchantment from your graveyard to your hand. Mm. You play this. I mean, if they have a way to answer Sigurd as a sure, you can get that back. But really, this just lets you replay all of your Urza Sagas. That's right. Stan, you've played this blue blue white deck a good amount. Yeah, did you like just it last or? week? Yeah, what do you think about it now? I guess I like it as much as any other hammer deck. <laughs> I, I'm really surprised at how quickly everyone's just saying, "Yeah, this is the right way to build this deck," and maybe it'll slowly change back into something else. But just hey, we are Azorius now. This is what we're doing. We're doing Reality Chip. We're doing Lavinia. We don't need black spells. We don't need Fatal push. We don't need Thoughtseize. This is good enough. Also, uh, Lion Sash has made it way to the board. Made its way to the board at this point from the uh, the main deck. It looks like. I mean, Lavinia is just so good against Fury. You know what I mean? Fury being one of the absolute best cards against Hammer. That I think having both Le- access to Lavinia, which is just a counter against one of the silver bullets against you, but also access to Reality Chip just lets you grind on game one as part of your proactive plan without having to take a turn off to fetch Luris and then hope that you have like additional mana to cast off cast stuff off of Luris. I just think reality chip is is like your main deck Luris that you can fetch up with Stoneforge if your games are going long. And it puts additional pressure on artifact removal where it's like I don't just have to worry about something like Colossus Hammer or maybe like a Shadow Spear or something like that. I also have to worry about the built-in card advantage engine of reality chip. Mm-hmm. So, and and even though people do run quite a bit of anti-artifact cards, primarily because of the popularity of something like Hammer, you do run out of those eventually. And something like the reality chip, like you said, Stan, you, you plant that late game and just cr- get back into the game super quickly. Next up on the list, Living End. Two Living End decks, and both of these decks also made the top eights. Uh, well-known Magic Online player Winged Hussar came in second in this event with Living End. And their list looked normally pretty normal stock, except for uh, adding two Colossal, Colossal Sky, Sky Turtle. Turtle. There it is. I saw that, Dave. I was yeah. like, oh, Dave called it. Mm, yeah, it, and you know what? That was only in the second place list, which is probably the difference maker. I'm sure if they were both playing Colossus Sky Turtle, you'd see a Living End Mirror in the finals. I think they both would have come in second place at least. At least, um, yeah. I will say I've seen some people on Twitter talking back and forth about Sky Turtle in the main. Some people saying that they've blown people out with it. Some people saying that they really wish they had Brazen Borrower instead. Um, you know, I think it's a cool 
new toy for people to play around with. The other thing, of course, that I've noticed with this is that this deck has really picked up a number of copies of Odawara Soaring City, which is the blue channel land from Kamigawa. Um, seems like a good place to have this. It makes up some of the stuff that maybe you would have tried, had been able to do with Brazen Borrower with a land instead. And so maybe you're getting to cover some of your Brazen Borrower stuff with yeah. that you're giving up to Colossal Sky Turtle by having this land instead. But it's nice to, you know, I imagine it's nice for this deck to have some new tools and ways to interact. And that green channel ability on Sky Turtle, I bet, comes in handy occasionally when you need to cascade again, unexpectedly. Yeah, I think the other important tech on Odawara is that it bounces Planeswalkers. So you can do this on opponent's end step if they have Teferi Time Reveler, which you are not able to do with Brazen Borrower. True. Great point. So it's so it's a better way to manage your mana, I think, early in the game. And then finally, the last decks that were, were a double in this top 32 is Blue Red Murktide. Completely stock lists as far as those go by my eye. So before we get into the one-ofs, which there was a bunch of interesting one-ofs in this, just wanted to go over the top breakdown, the top eight breakdown for the record. So uh, it was two Hammer, both blue-white, as we said, two Living End, as we mentioned, two Grixis Shadow decks, a Amulet Titan deck, and a Jund Food List. I don't think there's a lot more worth covering here other than the fact that Jesse Samick won, as we said, and Soul Strong who has been killing it with Grixis Shadow lately, made the top eight and went perfect in the Swiss with a 9-0, which is pretty interesting. Wowee, 9-0 in this killer lineup. I know, right? This Jund food deck, it's it's practically a historic deck, except it just has four Mishra's Bobble. <laughs> Absolutely. Cool, cool Decks, Inc. Yeah, so Cool Decks, Inc. Some of the best one-off one-off lists here, and Jund food was the best one. Now, Jund food was piloted the top eight by Kogamo, and I think this is the most interesting list from the top eight. Like Stan said, it is a historic list with cat combo, uh, and it has red and six, but it also has ravenous squirrel in it, which I think is popping up maybe in historic, like you said. Urza's Saga, which searches up, of course, Witch's Oven, which is a nice way to add some consistency to your deck if you want. And then it has Trail of Crumbs as one of the payoffs in it, which kind of you know has gone in and out of these junk food decks. But there's nothing going on here with Underworld Cookbook or as more yeah that fun person that we used to have a lot where's, where's the mayhem devil so i mean mayhem devil in no this. mayhem devil in this this is just grinding this deck well, i think and it's a luris deck yeah so you can't play mayhem and luris and i think that's kind of what you're going for yeah why though why can't i just have mayhem devil and, and win faster i don't know it's a grind deck you're right because you're winning with more um inevitability i think with this list although i do think it's worth noting that this list has also snuck for ragavan in there because of course it's a deck with a bunch of one drops in it with creatures and so we gotta have ragavan as well if we're gonna have ren and six bring ragavan along for the ride too uh but we haven't seen cat combo come up in modern too often so it's kind of cool to see it make it make an appearance at this point what do you think would you try cat combo here in modern you excited to give it a go do you guys like oven combo Dave, that's a ridiculous question. Yeah. No. Eh, it seems like a real trigger heavy deck. Do you know what I mean? And like you said, I think you said to really like getting people in this fashion. And I can definitely see why one might. It's just like, it's it's weird. Like when you look at it, you're like, okay, it's a bunch of lands. It's a bunch of play sets of creatures. And I guess you just kind of do the thing over and over and over again. You know, I think worth pointing out that the pilot of this cat combo deck, Kogamo, is 
a MTGO killer across formats dating back to 2011, which makes me think that this could be some amount of pilot skill as well, getting them into the top eight. That would be weird and unlike magic. Right, to reward skill. I mean, I will say this is a deck full of one drops and undercosted cards, which does have some hallmarks of powerful cards in modern, right? It's yeah. just a question of whether this core, you know, this core has never really felt like it was powerful enough for modern. It's always felt more historic level, right? Yeah, you know, I guess the interesting thing here is you can play bad creatures right now because everything is within unholy heat range. So maybe you can do these just cheap, synergistic, grindy plans because Laris is going to buy back your creatures eventually if someone is going to, you know, unholy try to unholy heat you. It really hurts to try to unholy heat or, or remove Cauldron Familiar in any way because once they get a Gilded Goose or a Trail of Crumbs down, they're just going to get that cat back. Ravenous Squirrel, I've played this card in the historic version of this deck and like Ravenous Squirrels just get huge. And can even be a card advantage engine of their own. So, I mean, maybe just, this... hope, just hope that you dodge removal, like in exile. Yeah, exactly. Well, you really just need to dodge solitude and prismatic ending. And what I feel like only one deck is playing those two cards these days. Well, and March, March of Otherworldly Light occasionally too now. What if they just wait to hold the removal for like Luris? Like, you can't do a ton with these necessarily. Like, if you just keep up one piece of removal for Luris, how, how do you crawl back from that? I don't know. We'll see. I don't know if we'll see it again, but it was interesting to see this core. Here, here's how you do it. You do it with Renin 6 and Urza Saga making giant constructs. Oh, yes. I forgot that Urza Saga is just in these decks now. It's also so, a threat. Yes. Yeah, that makes, makes perfect sense. I'm on board with this deck now. All you had to say is Urza, Urza Saga. Saga. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll see if this one pops up again. Let's take a look at the ninth place list. This is a red-white, basically ephemerate deck. Uh, piloted by Rianne in ninth place. And it is, uh, you know, it's Fury, Solitude, Obsidian Charmaw, Ranger Captain of EO, Season Pyromancer, Ragavan, and Esper Sentinel, along with Main Deck Blood Moon, Prismatic Ending, and Ephemerate, a couple Lightning Bolts. This was Big kind of Boros. a weird deck to see. What's that? Big, Big Boros. Boros. Yeah, exactly. Boros mid range instead of Chunky the, Boros. Yeah, Chunky, Chunky Boros. It's even got a dragon. Um, yeah, it was interesting to see a take on this kind of mana base that wasn't prowess based, right? Like this is m bigger, uses ephemerate, uses elementals as part of it. Um, pretty interesting. Almost got there, right? Ninth place. This but, is an Obosh deck. Yes, and it's Obosh. That's the other thing that's hard to realize when you look at it is that it, it snuck Obosh in there as a companion. Interesting. And it even has this very light touch of black with blood with one blood crypt and one Savai Triome to play a couple Kaya Orzhov Usurper out of the sideboard. And actually, the most interesting card to me here is in the sideboard, there are two Durgar Hedgemage from Lorwyn, I'm assuming, yeah. which says, when this card enters the battlefield, if you control two or more mountains, you may destroy target artifacts. When this card and then it has another ability that says when this card enters the battlefield, if you control two or more planes, you may destroy target enchantment. It's sort of like a wear tear on a two-two um, that costs two generic and a red-white hybrid. Um, guess goes good with ephemerate. Yeah, so blowing up an Urza Saga and a Colossal Hammer in one go, and then doing it again over and over. Pretty interesting stuff. Um, another red-white deck. 
18th place by NTG Bulliant is a non-hammer Stoneforge Mystic deck. But the spicy thing here is that, you know, with the core, kind of like in the last deck that we talked about with Ranger, Captain, Fury, Solitude, Ragavan, and Sentinel, this deck has a four of Fervent Champion and a four of Magus of the Moon in the main. Yeah, this has been a deck that Spike's been doing pretty well with for the past few weeks. Uh, I don't remember the Magus and Spike's list, but yeah, it's basically just a uh, yeah Boros Blade deck that he's been killing with. I like it a lot. And you get to equip things for free to Fervent Champion is basically the idea. So go get a Sword of Fire and Ice and equip it up, essentially, because that's where you get the biggest discount. Yeah, imagine a winning deck in TYOOL 2022 with three Sword of Fire and Ices. Always my favorite sword, to be honest. It's also got a Shokin Zan Crucible of Defiance in the side, which is interesting to see. Finally, there's even one more red-white brew. In the top 32, they came in 32nd place. It's a red-white boom bust deck, and not that boom bust deck, not a crack the earth deck. It is a full Nahiri into Emrakul list where you're searching Classic. up, yeah, searching up Nahiri and sneak attacking with Emrakul. Didn't you play the GP like in 2018 with that uh, list? Dave? I think it was. I think it was 2016. Oh. Uh, but yes, it was. It was pretty early, and it was not great. You were playing. In fact, I was playing Jeskai Nahiri. So interesting to see all these like weird red white builds. This one is uh, kind of got a, some prison elements. It's got Chalice. It's got Car and the Great Creator as well. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Red white having a moment. I know. Really weird, right? And then that Crack the Earth deck is also red white, and that didn't show up here, but that's that's been making the rounds on Magic Online as well. This may have already existed in Boombust decks, and I just hadn't noticed, but it's running the combo of in addition to Cleansing Wildfire plus Flagstones, it has Cleansing Wildfire plus cascading cataracts which mm-hmm. is an indestructible land that if you target with your cleansing you get a land and a card without putting yourself down on mana also boom bust is a combo with both those things as well so this is all about land destruction cool 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 tournament i'm gonna play in the next one i have i have the points i just was tied up with legacy on saturday i really should have played this instead well but you know you were in legacy all right, well, that is the results. Stan, you said that you were going to play in the next one of these. What deck do you think you're going to play at this point? Even looking at these results or just what were you liking? What are you liking in modern right now? So if there was one this weekend that I was going to play, I'd probably play Is It Merktide with Main Deck Fury. That's kind of the deck I'm driving most with. And if I have a little bit of time, like let's say I'm going to play in the one that happens in in March or April, then... Maybe it's the deck I talk about during the dive down. Who knows? No. All right. Well, that's a good tease. Stay with us as we talk about another week of Sleeve Believe Heave of Neon Dynasty. So, Stanislav, I, I saw something new in the dive down compound bathroom. Oh, yeah. Did you see my brand new safety razor oh yeah that's the way to do it my friend how 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 are you enjoying this so it was my birthday over the weekend and my wife knowing that i have all this sweet awesome new wet shaving products upgraded my razor blade because up until now i have been polluting the earth with actual disposable razors oh man yeah i know it's not great it's not great but it's like all i ever really did was shave like a little bit of my upper cheek 
a little bit of, of my neck beneath my chin just to kind of line up my beard. So she I said never, like a yellow Bic razor. Basically, yeah, like three dull blades. I never felt like <laughs> investing, you know, in those expensive cartridges that you have to put on like your Bic or Gillette, right? Yeah. But it's a nice match with the, the Barrister and Man products. A hundred percent. Yeah. Cause you know, I had the brush, I had the shaving soap and now I get to actually shave myself in a more sustainable way as well, because the razor itself lasts forever. And then yeah. the razor blades, super, super cheap and they're recyclable. Dope. Very so cool. that all happened. And I got to say, I, I just had the best shave of my life now. Like awesome. I, I don't know if you can see how clean these cheeks are. <laughs> they I look mean, clean even on webcam. I yeah. Even on webcam since, looks good. Since Saturday. It's it's Monday night. No, so, so Stanislav, you got also got some new stuff from Will over at Barrister and Man, right? Heck yeah! So I got some both some new shaving supplies that I haven't had a chance to use yet because I got them on a Sunday night. And who shaves on a Sunday night? Just like British me when gentlemen. I'm when I'm amped to get new products from Barrister and Man. Yeah, I, yeah. Maybe. I generally when I'm shaving, I have to shave Sunday morning and Sunday night, then Monday morning and Monday night. Right, right, but not me. I did also, however, get very generously from them is some hand soaps and some body soaps, which I did get a chance to try. Yeah. I got the Cootie Killer Lavender Hand Soap. Yeah. Excellent. Like, you like the lavender? I am a huge fan of lavender-scented products. That That is kind of my most charming trivia yeah, fact. Yeah, I, I agree. What else did you get? I also got lavender body soap and... And they threw in some Castile, a bar of Castile soap. Yeah. Huge. Huge. For those of you who aren't familiar with Castile soap, it's not made with any animal fat or product like a lot of other soaps are. And it's unscented. So it's just this really great, very few ingredients. It feels natural. Pretty much just smell like whatever fragrances you put on yourself after you bathe. Really, really nice stuff. No, it's awesome. Yeah, I know we have some stuff coming this week. And that's one thing we don't focus enough on, I think, is the non-shaving, non-dude products. We know that there's a lot of uh, lady listeners, a lot of non-binary listeners, people of all stripes, and you might not shave. So there's also other products at Barrister and Man you can check out. If you want to look at any of the shaving, any of the body products, Head on over to Barrister and Man, M-A-N-N. The owner of the company, Will, is a citizen of the Dive Down Nation. We've been working with him to uh, get the word out. Use code THEDIVEDOWN2022 at checkout for 15% off your first order. And uh, tell Will that we sent you. All right, we are back in the dive down. And hey, you know what? Last week, we went over the artifact cards that we completely whiffed on in a spoiler episodes. And it turns out there's more stuff to try out in Neon Dynasty than we even originally thought. You know, we didn't talk about Basaju that much last week, of course, but there's a lot more going on than that. There's all sorts of cool cards, cool synergies, cool things that people are doing out there. And we decided to test a few more decks this week in another edition of Sleeve, Believe, Heave, Neon Dynasty Part 2. So, Stan, I thought that we'd have you go first, because this is, I think, one of the coolest decks we have to talk about this week. I'll be happy to go first. I, I did play two decks in Modern for this segment. Before I get into them, though... I want to go off script very, very, very briefly. 
and tell you guys that I wasted a lot of time this last week playing Neon Dynasty Limited. Mm. People are saying it's incredible. If you are a limited dabbler like myself who just tries a set every once in a while, but you haven't had a chance to try Neon Dynasty yet, do yourself the favor. Use those draft tokens that have been racking up on your arena account or maybe some excess PPs you have in your MTGO account. This set is incredible. Just, I, I can't stop drafting it. I did one this morning just for the heck of it. It's so fun. Wow, I will give that a try. As you know, I used to be only a limited player. Man, that's so wild to remember. Yeah. I'm basically talking to you, man. Yeah, I will get back in there. I haven't tried anything in probably a year and a half or so. So I do have four draft tokens from when I was still purchasing like the the fancy the fancy track on the, the rewards. Mm-hmm. So Stan, you didn't play limited this week. You did play constructed, right? Well, Shane, you know what? I'm a man of many talents. I did both. But we're going to talk about some of the constructed decks I played. I, I wrote notes for one of them because only one of them really deserved any notes. And that is a deck that appeared in last week's Modern Challenge. Fourth place, pilot, piloted by a MTGO player named Scipios. And it's a Teamer, Slogurk, Assault Loam, Midrange, Lands deck. We mentioned it really briefly in the in the breakdown that we did oh you mean you mean slow slow gurk the over slime right not the other slow gurks the under slime fast gurk the uh, the the over slime <laughs> ooze tribal or the under slime ah i didn't yes. stick the landing there oh well you know what a forever yeah so i'm talking about teamer slow gurk the over slime dot deck i'm gonna break this deck down in a little bit more detail than we touched on last week because it has two main components that i think are important to identify individually component one is the lands package and the component two is just mid-range good stuff. Let's focus on the focus on the lands package because it's really the most unique element about this deck. Primarily designed all around this card called Slogurk, the Overslime from I think it's Neon or not Neon Midnight Hunt. Yeah, I think it's Midnight Hunt. Yeah, Innistrad Midnight Hunt, also in double feature. I'm just gonna say all of these cards are now. I'm just gonna say from double feature because it's technically not wrong. That's fine. Slogark the Overslime, one green blue for a legendary creature ooze, 3-3 three, three, trample. Whenever a land card is put into your graveyard from anywhere, put a plus one plus one counter on Slogark. Remove three plus one plus one counters from Slogark. Return it to its owner's hand. You can only do this from the battlefield. And then when Slogark leaves the battlefield, return up to three target land cards from your graveyard to your hand. So it basically has a loam effect. Yeah. Stapled onto it, like from the loam. So Slogurk, three copies in the deck, kind of the main payoff of this whole section of the deck that also includes four copies of Renin Six, ten Fetch Lands, two Forgotten Caves, two Boseju, two Life from the Loam, and three Seismic Assault. Okay? So far, so good? Perfect. The second half of the, of the deck, that's the mid-range good stuff. It kind of just... Some of the best cards in the format, Ragavan, DRC, Tarmogoyf, Expressive Iteration, Misha's Bobble, Bolt, and Unholy Heat. You know what these cards do. I don't think we need to go over them in detail. Stan, how do I cast Expressive Iteration? I generally wait until turn three at least, but this is the type of card that keeps getting better the longer you wait in the game. Because oh, you, okay. you don't need to play lands off it. You can just double spell. What? Believe it. So the most interesting card here is, in fact, Slogurk. I think it's kind of going to be the namesake of this deck if it sticks around. Maybe, maybe not. What do I know? <laughs> it's so catchy. What do I know about Nomenclature? 
I want to talk about playing with this card in particular because it has a lot of text on it, right? Even though this card costs three, pretty much play it as a four drop. Since one of the best and easiest things you can do with it is run it out while holding up a fetch land, and then as soon as it's on the battlefield, crack a fetch land to give it an extra counter. So it's like Omnath. It's like Omnath. It's like Seasoned Pyromancer. It's a, a host of many cards with a, with a fake mana cost. You can also potentially ramp it to it sooner if you did have a turn one Ragavan that connected once or twice. But in general, I found that Slowgurk did the most work when I could immediately back it up with a land. Because then it gets out of Lightning Bolt range. Mm-hmm. Unless they have a Lightning Bolt to cast in response to you cracking a fetch land. But, you know, maybe opponent tapped out. We'll count on that. Sure, Stan always plays against bad people, so it's fine. That's right. Likewise, you can also play it the turn after you cast a Seismic Assault. So if Seismic Assault is on the board, you can just hold up a land in your hand and grow Slurgurk while shocking your opponent, or, or their permanence for that matter. Or you hold it up for when they try to Lightning Bolt it, and then you shock. Wow, Dave. Now we're talking. Let me write this down. That's a good strategy. I think what made this card and really the whole deck very impressive to me is that pretty much all of the cards are good on their own, for the most part, but also get exp- exponentially stronger when they're combined and, and synergized with all the other things that this deck is doing. Because all that Slogurk in and of itself asks you to do is to have fetch lands in your deck, which you're already doing in modern most of the time. And then everything else, including Life of the Loam, certainly Renin Six, or even Forgotten Cave, and, and in some cases Seismic Assault, is just kind of additional gravy that you get to play with the Slogurk that makes your Slogurk a little better and makes your whole deck more synergistic so that you're not necessarily fighting on just a single axis, but have things that you can do pretty much every turn with your mana. Some of the coolest examples that I've found of, you know, synergizing Slogurk with these other cards is that when Slogurk and Assault are on the board at the same time, every land that you pitch to your Seismic Assault is kind of like a lightning bolt because it puts an extra counter on your Slogurk, which has Trample, so you're connecting for an additional point of damage in addition to the shock that you're hitting your opponent with using that seismic assault trigger. Hey, Stanislav, I hate to interrupt here. Have we Please. explained Have we explained what seismic assault is? I don't think it's such a staple card that everyone even knows what seismic assault does. Sure, I mean, why if, not? If people were playing in Tempest or whenever that <laughs> card came out. So uh, it's a it's triple red enchantment. You can discard a land card and seismic assault itself. Deals two damage to any target. That's it. Correct. Yeah. I love, I for real loved this card when I was a teenager. Like this card was a, so sweet to try to play. I know people have tried many, many times in modern over the years to make it work, but it's a, it's a very cool card and a big piece of like a certain era of magic history. Uh, it's from Exodus originally. When was it reprinted into modern? It is in 10th edition. It is also in 8th edition as well. Gotcha. Recently reprinted again in Ultimate Masters. A few years ago. Yeah, but this used to be in decks with Swans of Bryn Argol or something like that from that would was another kind of creature payoff that let you um recycle lands as part of part of how they worked. So that was sort of like a fringy deck that comes in and out of modern here and there. Yeah, and you know, like we've seen other versions of red green assault loam decks. there used to be a person at my LGS in Chicago who I used to play against that ran this deck when People played in person more frequently, and before I had a child, I never really played with it myself, and I was really excited to do that here, and kind of became a, a fan of it right out the gate. Moving on, though, Slogurk, Pris, Renin, Six, another little synergy we have here. 
it turns all of your fetches into lava darts for the same reason, because if you're cracking a fetch land, getting it back with your Renin 6, putting an extra point of damage onto, uh, you know, in the form of a 1-1 counter on Slowgurk with Trample, same is true of cycling Forgotten Caves or, or Fiery Islets, Islets, or even Bosages, which this runs a couple of. And then you're card neutral with the Renin 6 because you're just getting those lands back, making your Forgotten Caves and Fiery Islands Islets in particularly excellent because they can serve as card advantage on their own. Even Slowgurk plus Dragon's Rage Channeler turns your surveilled lands into extra points of damage because Slowgurk checks to see if a land is put into the graveyard from any zone. It doesn't have to be from your hand or from the battlefield. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Eventually, I'd get myself into situations where I'd have my opponent down to 10 or 8 life. And with an assault, um, seismic assault on the board, I would even just like combo kill my opponent without even having to swing by bouncing my slow Gurk back to my hand by taking counters off of him or using a life of the loam to get a couple land or, you know, getting three lands back from my graveyard because I'm filling my graveyard with lands over the course of this game. And then I just pitch them all to seismic assault. If I'm holding an extra land that I just had from a previous turn that I didn't need to get off of the Slogurk. You just kind of surprise them sometimes without even having to, you know, rely on on trample or combat damage otherwise to do it. Uh-huh. So I guess the, the main thing for me here is this deck sounds really sweet. Where yeah. do you think what do you think is helping it kind of pop up right now? Like what do you think is kind of is there something going on in the metagame that you think is making it viable plan as opposed to something else or do you think somebody just found out something cool that's a different axis what do you what do you think about that part of it you know i think so much of the deck's strength is the mid-range half which is not to say that the slogurk and lands package aren't good i think they are good but what they basically enable you to do is have an alternative you know game plan than you might get out of Merktide decks or Grixis Shadow decks. Because that's kind of like where I would position this deck in particular. You know, with its Ragavan, with its Dragon Rages, Bobbles, etc. You know, it, in a lot of ways, it just looks like a typical Ragavan expressive iteration deck. It's just using Slogurk instead of Death Shadow or Merktide Regent. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the thing that you're trading. And then you also get to play Ren and Sex with that, which is just like you know, maybe the best planeswalker in the format currently. Yeah. Yeah. And Ren and Six goes well with Seismic Assault. So suddenly you start getting this pull towards that. So yeah, that's interesting. And it's an alternate win con that sometimes, you know, if people can kill all your creatures, they're not good against Seismic Assault. So yeah, I, I will admit Assault is probably the weakest card in the deck since, you know, in some cases it can be a little hard to cast if you're fetching basics to maybe play around an opponent's Blood Moon. And it doesn't do much on its own, and it can even be a very bad top deck unless you're holding back lands. It does literally nothing on its own. That's right. Yeah. The explosive kill potential is probably the most appealing draw, you know, for the games where your opponent might think that they've stabilized, maybe they got some blockers down, and you don't happen to have a slow gurk, and you're just counting on, you know, goifs and, and expressive iterations to try to keep yourself in the game. Suddenly, you play in a, a seismic assault, you know, maybe you have some lands in hand, maybe you found one of your life from the loams, and then all of a sudden, like, you've cleared the board or just done six or more damage to the opponent's face, and really they're on the back foot all of a sudden. If this deck lives on, though, I would not be surprised to see Assault replaced by something like Elvish Reclaimer, 
as another cheap threat that keeps your engine going as well. And that's kind of like maybe an iteration that I want to experiment with myself because I just felt like this was such another powerful version of the Ragavan expressive iteration deck that seems to take so many shapes and, and, and sizes in the format. A reclaimer in a deck without Urza's Saga? Come on. Sue me. You know, I want to talk about Boseju because that's like the one new card in this deck. And I think it's sort of important to mention what Boseju does here versus the other deck that I played. In this particular deck, I really liked it as a way, as an incentive to use Boseju proactively to just pick off my opponent's non-basic lands, even if I knew that they had more to fetch. Or say, use it to target their lands even if they didn't have artifacts or enchantments that I was going to blow up with Boseju anyway. Just because having a Ren and Six out, cycling Boseju every turn, basically lets you interact with their board in a certain way that eventually you might get them down to only basics, which can stifle their mana enough that they can't double spell because their lands only tap for one color and maybe they're playing in a, a, a greedy deck on their own. I like that Boseju in this deck got to be a part of a proactive strategy rather than just like a tool that I use to try to get my opponent if they happen to cast one of the permanent types being artifact or enchantment um, or just like waiting for them to play an Urza Saga if they don't even have it. So right on. As, as I may have hinted at earlier to, to maybe Dave's question about what I play in a showcase challenge, I really like this deck. And really? That much? I really like this deck. I, and I think there's something here and, and that's just because there's something to every Ragavan Expressive Iteration deck. And it's just kind of about figuring out what's the other thing you're doing when you're not playing your one and two drops. And I think Slogurk is this nice alternative value engine that can even play Blood Moons in the sideboard if it really wants to. I did a couple game, bring him in a couple games, and it makes your mana a little more annoying because you have to cast some fetches. So you're probably, even though Assault Loam is triple red, like you're maybe taking out your Assault Loams because you need to find a, a blue and an island in a forest. But I just thought there was something here. And I think this is the type of deck that by playing Goyf in addition to your Ragavans and while also having Ren and Six to just generate all the value that that provides, maybe it's not such a bad idea to like explore the potential of Slogurk when, as I mentioned, every or if not every, most modern decks these days are playing fetch lands, and fetches are kind of like all you really need to make Slogurk good. Throw in a couple left of the loam just to seal the deal, and you're off to the races. So I, I'll give this a, a spicy sleeve if you want to be on the cutting edge of team or mid-range decks. Of Slogurk tech. Wow. Yeah. Keep an eye on this one, folks. Th- the last time I felt this way about a green-ish deck was the late winter, spring of 2020 when we were all stuck at home and, and you bought tron no 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 it was when i got into ponza mm-hmm. oh yeah like, all of a sudden ponza's good so i think this is like itching those ponza scratches without being an actual land destruction tech which is the second thing that i did try teamer liquid metal ponza i didn't even write notes for this deck because <laughs> I, like i don't want to belabor the point too long i really hated it and i thought all the cards were bad Wow. So this particular deck, I saw it in a <laughs> I hated league. it and all the cards were bad, including <laughs> yeah. excluding known to modern bad cards, Ren and Six, Fury, Season Pyromancer, Lightning Bolt. Burn yeah, p- yeah, pretty much. So this is a deck that I saw appear in a league, and it's running seven liquid metal effects, four liquid metal torque, and three liquid metal coating 
in the main, in addition to one more liquid meta coating in the side that you can fetch up with a Karn. Here's the problem with this deck, unlike the previous one. Unless you're drawing like coating and something else, those cards, those seven cards don't do anything. And there were just so many positions where I just felt like I'm staring at a hand of cards that can't really interact, that don't accrue any real value, a thieving skydiver that can't actually like steal artifacts from my opponent's board. And it just felt like it wasn't playing on the same axis as some of the best cards and decks in modern are these days, where I mentioned in the previous deck, all the cards are good because they all kind of just do things on their own with the exception of Seismic Assault that needs lands in hand to to do the thing. And, and the, you know, that deck is designed to keep your hand full of lands, right? This one, like, if you just draw a bunch of liquid metal coatings and um, a seasoned pyromancer or a fury, like, you're not really doing that much. And sometimes you're not even getting to the five mana to make that fury count. You're putting yourself at a card disadvantage. And then you have these, like, really stupid artifacts and no Karn to make them worth it. It does run for Boseju, and I was thinking perhaps like Boseju plus Liquid Metal Coating would be enough of an engine or combo to make that deck tick. But you're not taking them down on lands either, you know, because when you Boseju someone, they have to fetch a land. So you're just doing that over and over until hopefully they run out. Yeah, hopefully they run out. Yeah. But that takes forever. So I would say this is like the type of deck where if you want to have some fun at the LGS, maybe you can take people by surprise. I didn't think this one really ticked because it really demanded a lot of things to go right for you, as opposed to the Slogurk deck where you can just like play turn one Ragavan, turn two Tarmogoyf, and everything else is kind of like your spicy tech if they happen to have early interaction. Yeah. This is like, I need to make sure all I draw all of my best cards in the correct order and I don't see any interaction from my opponent. And then maybe I can like start eking out a little bit of value very gradually. So this one's a he for me, the liquid metal Ponza deck. Heave it, baby. Heave it. Who needs it? Not I. There's enough decks out there. At least what? 20? I mean, I haven't counted recently, but probably at least. Shana, tell tell me, what, what have you been playing? <laughs> Man. So I went back to, I haven't played modern in a minute. If you have been paying attention to my past uh, weeks, but what I did this week is I, I was like, I just need to play some Boseju. I need to see what Boseju feels like. I need to get a bead on this powerful card that people were almost afraid of. So what I did is I went through the most recent 5.0 dump and I found a list that intrigued me for a variety of reasons. One, the 5.0 pilot was Mickey Plays Magic, who is also a citizen of the nation Mickey S, he 5-0'd with his deck. Uh, it also was in the PTQ the week before, and he had slightly modified it to try to improve it. I think pretty much took out Oath of Nyssa for Collected Company. And it's also in an 80-card or a 95-card Yorian deck with a Death and Taxes, Selesnia deck, with some classics like Noble Hierarch, Thalia, Flicker Wisp, Stoneforge Mystic, Leon, Leonin Arbiter, and some newer cards like Esper Sentinel, uh, slightly new, Giver of Runes, Archon of Amiria, Skyclave Apparition, and of course Solitude. And the goal of this deck is, like any 
Taxes deck, which is disrupting the opponent's mana, taxing their spells, making their lands come into play, tap, uh, making them unable to cast multiple spells in a turn, exiling some problematic permanence in Stan's lingo, or generally annoying your opponent while hopefully advancing your own game plan, or just able to build up mana to cast uh, your slightly more expensive spells like Solitude or something like that. And that aggression comes in a little bit through chipping airstrikes with cards like Flicker Wisp or Archon. A few Noble Hierarch Exalted triggers uh, can make your creatures into effective attackers in the ground as well. And the game sort of progresses. You get advantage with Flicker Wisp interactions on cards like Skyclave Apparition or your Stoneforge Mystic or, of course, your Solitude later in the game. And Stoneforge is, of course, tutoring up needed equipment like the now uh, sort of classic duo of Batter Skull and Calder Complete, and some additional new tech like Lion Sash to embiggen a flyer, clear an opponent's graveyard, maybe do both, and Aether Vials there, of course, to accelerate your development. Collective Company allows for mana and card advantage. And of course, this is a Yorian deck, so you do get some additional flicker benefits along with that beefy late game flyer. And as I was getting at, the reason I played this deck, or at least selected this deck, is that it features for Buseju who endures, and if you somehow forgot what it does, it blows up an artifact, an enchantment, or a non-basic land for the channel cost of one in a green. Question for you, Shane. Is this your first time playing a Texas deck since we did the oh, man. modern mono-white deck dive in November of 2020? That's a really good question. When's the last time I actually tried to do some kind of taxation? It, it might like, be. Yeah, basically, when was the last time you put a Leon and Arbiter in your deck? Oh my god, Leon and Arbiter, yeah. I mean, I hope that I have... I hope that my taxes deck didn't even have Leon and Arbiter, because it's it's such a bad card, but that's maybe, maybe getting ahead of things. But yeah, not for a mm-hmm. minute. How dare you? I have a 5-0 with Leon and Arbiter. Do you really? Is that is that like that weird Eldrazi and taxes deck? Did that have Leon and Arbiter? Yep. Oh yep. my gosh. For sure. So... On that subject of Leon Arbiter, so what this deck is trying to do is is make the balance of Boseju, which your opponent is, of course, searching up a land with a basic land type for you removing the permanent of your choice. This deck can prevent the opponent from searching with Leon and Arbiter and with even Mind Sensor. So if let's say you channel Boseju with an Arbiter out, the opponent has to have two mana sitting around to pay for the pleasure of searching up a land or the one of even Mind Sensor can be flashed in to force them to only search the top four cards of their deck. So, yeah, that's that's the gimmick, right? Is, hey, uh, I am taking care of a permanent, but if you can't pay for this Leonin tax, or maybe I have the cheeky even Mind Sensor in there, then that puts us in my favor, where not only do I have a land that also can interact with your permanents, is that I can maybe make it so that it's even more in my favor. And so what's interesting about Boseju, at least in my first experiences with it in this deck, is that it felt pretty fair, like in, on on its own merits, right? Like in my my matchups with things like Hammer, it felt like a pretty reactive card, almost like a removal spell, where I could, but I could take care of a lot of stuff, right? Like I could take care of Sigarda's aid, I could take care of a, of course, you know, a flashed in artifact of some sort, I could take out and Urza Saga if I needed to. But even though this has a lot of flexibility against one of the best decks in the game that you'd think that uh, Boseju would be very powerful against, you only have four of them. 
And and it does, and there's a lot of artifacts, and it does ramp your opponent. So trying to take away that sort of not not necessarily advantage, but take away that equalization factor of Boseju seems really important. And that's what we see with this deck trying to do with something like Leon and Arbiter. We see that with other decks who are trying to do that with Ren and Six looping it, so that effectively you take away anything meaningful that they are trying to do, or maybe take them off of a color of land or something like that if they're trying to really stretch their mana base thin. And of course, with Buseju, this deck is trying to is featuring four ghost quarters to additionally annoy opponents with maybe complex mana, and of course trying to get the Arbiter cheese as well. So on its own merits, this deck sounds like it's doing something potentially cool, but we do have to remember, I think, that this is, in fact, a taxes deck. And therefore, the deck is not very good. I know it's amazing that I played a deck that I thought was bad in kind of a sleep, leave, heave episode, but I was talking to Mickey about this deck, and after his 5-0 and initial good experiences, I think he actually had a, a series of pretty good leagues, like he was doing a couple 4-1s maybe in a 5-0. I could be wrong about that, because Mickey is always doing random 4-1s. So all that being said, this is Death and Taxes, and, and Mickey was not super high on it after his initial good experiences as well. So the issue with this deck, to me at least, is that you're playing really underrate things compared to today's modern that mm-hmm. you that have to come together really well in order to win. I think Wow. That weird. sounds familiar, doesn't it? Oh, man, so weird. <laughs> I, I think there's a lot of opportunities for this deck to do fun fun things and tricky things and be annoying to your opponent. But like it's not that fun because you're always feeling like you're fighting this uphill battle. Like like when your opponent a hammer opponent has a couple six six constructs attacking in on you because you took care of the first two Colossus, you know, Colossus hammers, and then they stuck the Urza saga and things like that. Like, you know, your Leon and Arbiter preventing that earlier search potentially, unless they pay two, <laughs> isn't really that fantastic. Um, and so what I find with decks like these is like it's a matter of like being able to apply and in the format altogether, right? It's like a matter of applying pressure to your opponent, having the tempo control of the game. And decks like these, I think, just can't really do either. Like, the way they try to control tempo is by interacting with their opponent's overall game flow, right? And then something like Stoneforge slipping in there can apply pressure with the right living weapons. But, like, there's a reason that Cauldra Complete is, like, a $5 card, right? Like, it's just not that amazing anymore in, in today's today's modern and the tempo of this deck is just almost always on the back foot because of the pace of what you're doing, the mana cost that you're paying for the cards, the rate of the cards versus what they're actually doing to the board state or to your opponent's game flow. And there's just so much efficiency in modern these days that something like Thalia, that's something like a three mana Flicker Wisp, like something like even like a three mana Skyclave Apparition that for a brief period of time was a you know really great card all of a sudden it's just like half a mana or one mana too slow compared to what else is going on so that's kind of my 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 overall thoughts on a deck like this is just like hey you're not on raid anymore if you ever if you ever were and i'm almost surprised that it's a yorian deck because i don't feel like it's flickering enough late game to be like, I want to run 80 of these cards, right? Where it's like, maybe I could trim this down a bit and I could 
ditch a few of these things. But when you, when you look at the list, you're like, I do want all of these. I, I want Esper Sentinel. Maybe it's not necessary. I want Giver of Runes. Meh, maybe I don't. And so it's just like, you know, maybe you could trim here and there. Or you could get your lands down to like 20 or 21 or something like that. And then you have a leaner version that is more consistently coming together and not just like, okay, I had the Thalia when they were on a spell-based deck. Uh, or I had the Archon when they were like storming off, like you know, randomly playing Storm or something, or like a Cascade deck. Yeah, I'm really believing everything you're saying, Shane. It always really puzzled me that Taxes would play Yorian. I mean, A, the reason you provided of like not a ton of blink equity here in general. And B, when Leon and Arbiter is just like one of the most important cards in your deck and you want to be able to line up like very specific synergies, diluting it with all these extra creatures just for the sake of meeting the Yorian Clause seemed like a real liability. Yeah. So I don't. I almost wonder if like a deck like this may have a future if it goes more all in on Leonin and Baseju and Ghost Quarter and just like yeah. be a 60 card deck that is doing white based land destruction like yeah. you mean it. Yeah, I will say one of the things that helped that was different about the decks that I liked in this zone, at least the um, you know, that Thalia Stompy deck that I liked is that it was playing Chalice as well in addition to Arbiter and Ghost Quarter. And being Baseju plus Chalice plus Leonard Arbor might be, and Thalia might be a pretty heavy kind of mana disruption package that might get you a little bit farther than some of these things are. You'd need better threats to close the game, but. Yeah. Here's another question I had for you, Shane, that kind of gets into something that's confused me about these decks in particular is what do you do about a turn one Ragaman? Yeah, exactly. There's no interaction here. Like you, you just have to pitch a solitude yeah. or, or hope you have a Thalia on, yeah. on turn two. I mean, there's there's also there's three path to exiles in the sideboard, full stop. There's no prismatic endings main. There's no weird like you know march of the whatnot. It's, there's just yeah. there's no way for you to to get in the way of like a Ragavan. I mean, besides blocking it. But yeah, Esper you know, Sentinel is not a bad blocker for Ragavan because if they try to kill it, then at least you get a card back. Exactly. But um, but then you're you then know. they then they are just already snowballing with the mana advantage right. and potential card exactly. advantage, right? So yeah, it's just like that just gets to the core of this issue, right? Which is like your deck is not as good as other decks <laughs> because you're playing you're not playing God, you're not playing story Ragavan, of my life. you're not playing two mana planeswalkers. You're not even choosing to play some of the best interaction that the game has to offer now in something like Prismatic Ending for whatever reason. So I, I don't even know if this is like the kind of deck where it's like, hey, maybe we need to keep tweaking this because like that's something that Spider Space would have done already. Do you know what I mean? Like it's I think it's something that sure if you like it and you really like the play patterns of this deck, then you're not like you're not playing the worst deck in the universe. But I don't know how fun is it to like str- struggle for your three twos and things like that constantly because i just think that's the kind of place that this deck is and i don't think it's i'm not trying to be harsh saying that i think that's kind of the sentiment that a, a true fan of the deck and you know gabe has said week after week after week it's just not yeah, there I'm, yeah i mean i do think that there's always a chance that this core will get one card and be good again mm-hmm. right if you get something that is more um redundant with leon and arbiter somehow that could be something that would make a deck like this better you know like you said make that that disruption plan better make it more consistent make it more sure that you um are paying good rate for your cards you know i whenever i played these taxes lists back in the day i always was like i hated flicker wisp like flicker wisp is really powerful sometimes 
but it also feels like it's just too costly these days, even though a 3-1 flyer that blinks something for less than three would be kind of absurd. It's always felt a little bit out of step to me too. So I, I understand where you're coming from too. It's always like, does this deck really need collected company and aether vial too? Like, are we yeah. just doing all the stuff that we're trying to do here? You know, but I guess I want to talk a little bit about Besagey before we move on to your experiences, Dave, because like, I, I'm curious why, why are people so afraid of this card when it, it, it has, it costs two mana. It costs you a land. Is it because it's just so free to include? You know, what's free to include a lot of stinking cards in modern. It's essentially free to include a ragavan. It's essentially free to include a prismatic ending because it that's always has very, utility. No, no, no. This that's I don't think that those it's a are different kind equivalent. of free. I understand it's completely different kind of free. Yes. It's a different kind of free. Yeah, I understand that. But it basically is like your your fallback is the resource of the game, which yes, I understand. I still don't think that it makes the spell necessarily any better than. Like you know, you've you've made the comparison to something like an Assassin's Trophy, right? Like it's Assassin's Trophy esque. It's not as good as Assassin's Trophy, but it it's easier to include in the deck. But it still does the same thing that a spell does in your deck, right? And and that effect is not a broken effect. And so the real question is like, were people annoyed because they just figured they were going to see it in every deck that could cast it? Sure, that's kind of annoying, where it sort of just takes some equity away from decks that uh, now they have main deck ways to disrupt their plan, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I think one thing that you all are pushing towards with this discussion is, okay, we played some Besaju last week. We've seen it a couple of weeks in the format now. It was the hype card out of the sets. We talked even during the spoiler about, our deck's going to play it as a piece of utility, or are there going to be decks that are going to make Boseju some kind of plan, right? And Stan, you had a deck that was kind of making Boseju a plan. This one is trying to make it a plan. There's the running six decks that we're trying. It feels to me like none of those decks are really like gaining traction right now. And what we're really getting to is the more likely scenario during spoiler season, which is it's a really good piece of utility you get to include in your deck for free and and that's why that is still why people should kind of be scared of it, but it's not because it's going to be abused. Yeah, I, I think the strongest piece of evidence for what you're saying to the limits of Besage's power is that Blue White Hammer is like maybe the new best deck. <laughs> it's mm. just like it's it's still like it hasn't been knocked butt. down at all. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean that that was really my feeling. Like Busaju is powerful, but it's just not powerful to be the singular thing with perhaps the exception of Buseju plus Renin 6, like you can do some damage there to maybe not lock your opponent out, but disrupt them significantly so that casting cards is harder. But it just, that can't be all you're doing. And fortunately, those two cards in tandem is a small enough investment that you can still do powerful other stuff to hopefully have a proactive deck that isn't just relying on this one tech piece. Yeah. And maybe the biggest place where Besaju even matters is I get to run the, you know, you get to run this in Amulet Titan to get around mm -hmm. Blood Moon. And that's, that's where everybody saw it was going to go originally. And maybe that's just the place where it actually makes the most sense and is the most meaningful in the format ultimately is as a foil to Blood Moon, not as a removal spell for your creatures or your opponent's proactive plan. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, all right. Well, this is a heave from you, I take it. I mean, 
Yeah, I mean it's. I mean it's just a heave, mainly because I just don't think it's doing what modern is about anymore. But mm-hmm. you know, maybe there's something there. I mean, we haven't seen the last of a seiju <laughs> by any means. So I think there's, like you said, I think it just depends on what comes down the pipeline. Yeah, I mean, if you love casting Blood Moon, be aware of Beseju. It's not as good as it used to be, right? Um, that's probably the biggest takeaway from all of this. All right. Well, I have a, something completely different to talk about today because one of the cards that we talked about a little bit during the spoiler episode and kind of said, ah, we didn't think it was going to get there, is taking off the way, <coughs> I think, in Pioneer... And also in, oh, did you, did you, I don't, I didn't remember what you said about this card. All right. So the card we're talking about is light pause emperor's voice. Now, if you remember when we talked about it, I was worried about the fact that it had to target itself with the cards that it searched up and wondering if that was going to be okay on a creature that didn't really have any evasion or anything. I'll have, I have things to say about that, but Stan, you thought that this was going to be okay. I didn't remember that. Here's the, here's the tape. Okay. Here's, <laughs> you got the tape. Well, no, I you mean, have the like, tape? No, I just, I mean, I remember it because here, it, you were like, you and I were just like, it's not as good as drawing cards because you draw, you draw a card that's less good than the card you just played. And it has to go on a creature that doesn't get any buff besides the aura itself. And Stan right. was like, this seems good to me. Yeah, that's all it takes to to claim calling. Call that's calls fair. It. Fair. And as you all know, I, you know, I have I have loved auras recently. I liked it a lot in Historic. I've played around a little bit with it in Pioneer. I played it in Pioneer this week. You know, those decks have been good in both of those formats at different points in time. I think they're both were knocked down a tier for sure, at least one tier before Light Pause is printed. But spoilers, I think that they're probably both doing pretty well and will be around for a little bit because of Light Pause at this point in time. And so let's talk about what Light Pause does. Light Pause Emperor's Voice is a legendary creature, Fox Advisor. It's a generic and a white for a 2-2, and it says, whenever an aura enters the battlefield under your control, if you cast it, you may search your library for an aura card with mana value less than or equal to that aura, and with a different name than each aura you control... Put that onto the battlefield attached to Light Paws Emperor's Voice, then shuffle. Okay, so there's some things that go on with this, right? Like I've said, so 2-2 two, two for 2 with no evasion. It feels like, you know, it would be nice to get some other buff. Cause, so it's not Core Spirit Dancer, right? It doesn't search and also do some kind of Core Spirit Dancer thing, which would be yes. absurd, of course, if that happened. You know, I think that the hard part here is it's restricted. If you don't build the deck right, the thing that felt to me was kind of like, having to put the auras on the car on light pause itself meant that you're likely to not get payoffs sometimes when you search something up and throw it on there. But the fact is, you know, having to untap with a creature is kind of a thing that has to be done in these creature combo decks or decks that rely on creatures to payoffs. And that's just what it is. And so you build a deck like Orzov Auras or something like that in Pioneer, where you find a way around that. And how do you find a way around that in, in Auras? Well, we all know it's with Alciate of Life's Bounty and Selfless Savior and Kaya's Ghost Form and all those kind of things. And so you build a deck, and, and this is stuff that the Pioneer version of Auras was doing already. The the historic version, the blue-white version of historic didn't really do that as much, but that's that's kind of where it's at. Yeah, you know, I think one of the reasons we may have, and by we, I mean you two, <laughs> cold on this card at first is because we were talking about how it's maybe not as good as core spirit dancer but pioneer doesn't have spirit dancer right so this is now your second 
SRAM in the Pioneer version of the deck. Yeah. And let's talk about the really big thing here, too. This card searches up a card for minimal cost because you're going to play auras that cost one mana or sometimes two mana. You have to go through your deck and pick out whatever aura you want to get and put it into play immediately. So it 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 it's really better than drawing a card in that sense if you've got your deck set up the right way because you get to put it into play. Like that's that's it, right? And so the fact that Light Pause is a two two, yeah. it actually doesn't matter that much because it's just a body that you buff with specifically ethereal armor and all the glitters. So it, it's but, card advantage, a tutor, and mana advantage. Right. That's, that's what it that turns out. That to sounds be. okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it turns out to be. And so yeah, had that wrong. Now, does that make the deck good right now? I mean, I think that's of course a little bit more uh, up in the air. Because I think that's dependent, meta dependent, and everything. But the card itself, on rate, I think is very good. And what is? And I want to talk a little bit about what Light Pause really does. And Stan, there's there's basically two or three things that I think Light Pause really does. And the first one that you said, Stan, is that these Aura decks were already reasonably good in Pioneer, and they only had one one payoff for casting auras. Right? They just had SRAM, and now they have two. And so um, in Historic, whether you already had two. And they were kind of working on a third one with that Drake from Crimson Val. In Historic, I imagine they now, I didn't look at Historic too closely, but now they have 12 creatures that are pretty powerful that you can do stuff with auras with. In Pioneer, having eight turns out that it's good enough. And, you know, just a reminder that when you have the rule of eight, you know, when you have eight payoff cards, you are 65% likely to have one of those eight payoff cards in your opening hand versus 40% when you only have four of them. So it's a huge difference. You go from being less than 50% to almost two-thirds likely to draw it. So you're going to have your payoffs a lot more often. The other thing that it does is that the deck in Pioneer really didn't have quite the same amount of burst because it didn't have Core Spirit Dancer that the deck in Historic had. So what it provides in this deck is that, you know, Sometimes you play auras like it's a fully aggro deck, and sometimes you play it like you're trying to grind a little bit and trying to like protect and go slow and kind of go forward. It didn't really have the aggro deck plan available in Pioneer in quite the same way that Historic did, but now it does with Light Pause. Because, you know, if SRAM only gets to be a 5 5 or 6 6 and it takes some time to win, uh, when even when it's going well, Light Pause can get really big really fast because of Ethereal Armor and all that glitters. So if you go, Light pause with some protection up, and the next turn you cast all that glitters and ethereal armor and then attack. You know, sometimes you're suddenly attacking with an 8 8 or a 9 9. You know, and if you dig up something even bigger or manage to cast another aura on top of that to get more cards, it kind of keeps going. Lastly, the tutoring ability gives you a chance to play toolbox cards, essentially, which I think makes the deck a lot bigger overall. They can make you go faster. They can make you find protection. They can help you with life gain. This is all the stuff that I think really helps the deck get a lot better. And it really is the different... I played a couple of different lists too. I played basically a mono white one with Thoughtseize in the sideboard and Hateful Eidolon for black. And then I played a deck that had a lot more black in it, had Kaya's Ghost Form. The first deck didn't have Kaya's Ghost Form. Um, I think that these lists are uh, pretty different, but I'll talk about which one I think is better right now. But to go really quickly about what these decks are, if you're not familiar, you know, it's an eight of the first deck that list that I played was from was a five zero from uh, someone named Rastoff, whose name is Guillerme Merjam, a Brazilian pro. 
uh, well-known player. I think we've seen a lot of different lists from Rastoff over the years. So this is like the mono white one or the base white one. It's eight SRAMs and light paws, 10 protection creatures, you know, between Alcea, Alcead of Life's Bounty, Selfless Savior, and Hateful Eidolon. Hateful Eidolon is their and I call it sort of a protection creature because what it does is it lets you draw cards for when your your artifact or your aura's creatures die. And then sometimes there's Karamatra's Blessing as a protection card as well. And then on top of that, you have your aura's suite, right? You have four ethereal armor and four all the glitters. These are the ones that get bigger and count how many auras you have to determine what uh, what size they are. They're basically your cranial plating type effects here. Uh, then you have four Cartouche's Solidarity, four Griff's Boon, and three to four Sentinel's Eyes. So Griff's Boon gives you flying, Cartouche's Solidarity gives you an extra body and first strike, and Sentinel's Eyes gives you uh, Vigilance and also has Escape, which is awesome for getting restarted after you lose a payoff. And this deck pays, plays out a lot more simply. You know, it's you play one of your targets, you try to get some auras going, protect it, and just attack. And it's you know, Light Paws has a limit to how aggro it can get, but it also has good mana. It's not too complicated. The um, the way the deck plays can be pretty simple with this one. Light Paws can only get up to a certain size because there's only five different auras in the deck. So if you play a couple of them, when you have those names already out on the battlefield, you can't get another one. So you can run out of tutor targets actually pretty often. In this deck, you can get Light Paws up to about a 12-12, so you need to hit with it twice, yeah. which I think is interesting because you run out of those tutor targets a lot faster than I thought you were going to. Does Alcide enable that, where maybe Alcide, just having one or two of those out, allows you to get protection from whatever blockers they have and connect enough times to actually win? Yeah, I mean, that that is the general plan. I mean, of course, Griff's Boon is a big part of it, too, where you just get them flying and fly over it. But that doesn't work in every situation. And even ha having Alcea be able to give things protection proactively doesn't work great either, because sometimes you play against white decks, and then you're like, well, I can't give my creature uh, protection from white because then all the auras will fall off of it. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of kind of... You know, LC it's great, but there's times when it's terrible. Selfless Savior is great, but there's times when it's terrible. So you have to really think about like what protection pieces you have. And notably, um, you know, it can be hard to protect this deck against Skyclave Apparition if you don't have the right cards because Savior doesn't protect against it and Alcea doesn't protect against it either unless you want to lose all your auras. So you you kind of are at a pretty, dis pretty disadvantage against that card and other cards like it, essentially. I thought that this deck was fine, um, but then I started looking around and I started talking with Craig in our Discord, who is a, someone who plays Auras as well and has played in Historic a lot, and he mentioned that someone had shared a list with him by Mason Clark, well-known SCG circuit players Mason Clark and Nick Chirillo. Um, I had been asking Craig about Kaya's Ghost Form. Why isn't anybody playing it at this point in time? The card was bugged on Magic Online for a long time, so I think that's part of the reason it kind of gotten out of the rotation, but it works now. And so these two people had put together a list that featured that. And so it actually runs Kaya's Ghost Form. It's a lot lighter on cards like Hateful Eidolon instead. I'm going to read Kaya's Ghost Form really quickly. Single black enchantment aura, enchant creature, planeswalker you control. When it dies, put it into exile, then return that card. When it dies or is put into exile, return that card to the battlefield under your control. Yeah, and that's the key, right? Is that it is an aura that you can search up with light pause or just outright cast to start a light pause chain that, sure, 
if the creature goes away, you lose the auras that were attached to it, but you get the creature back and you get to start over again. And this deck, this card had gotten some traction in the SRAM versions to just protect your your kind of payoff, but it's way, way, way better in the Light Pause versions because you can search it up from basically any position in the deck once you get Light Pause online. Also, I think this goes really good with Luris in non-Auras heavy games. If you get into a Luris grindy game, you can sometimes drop Luris and play Kaya's Ghost Form on it, and then they basically can't kill Luris because if it if they kill Luris, then Luris comes back and you wow. just replay Ghost Form on it. So they have to have two removal spells right away in order to get through it, and that gets really complicated, especially if you drop a Selfless Savior or something like that as well. So Yeah, so you, right, you used to be able to do that with Selfless Savior, but now this also gives Luris protection from Exile effects. Right, and so and that comes up a lot, you know, especially with Skyclave Apparition being around or a few other Exile events in Pioneer, which aren't, you know, the most common thing. But really, it's just the fact that you can replay this uh, over and over again, and it's not a creature that can be killed itself that I think helped, helped me in a couple of matchups like that. The other thing is that y- it runs a couple, this deck from uh, Mason and Nick runs a couple of really kind of spicy one-ofs that help you get out of situations like I was talking about. So one thing that happens with a deck like this is if flying is bad, what are you supposed to do, right? If flying is bad... Swim. Yeah, swim, exactly. Also, I often felt like I wanted haste, from light pause to be able to really surprise somebody with a giant creature maybe on turn three maybe on turn four once you have some protection online and so they threw a card in here called messenger's speed now this card sounds like it gives haste bad it definitely gives haste but it also gives trample so it's a single red enchantment from born i think it's born of the gods actually but yeah it's a theros it's a theros block card and all it says is enchanted creature has trample and haste it doesn't buff stats at all but the thing that's great about it is that it gives trample when you need it. It gives haste when you can dome somebody really quickly with that. And it can also help you, you know, that haste doesn't just have to be about being aggro. It can also help you recover uh, from a board state where it feels like you've fallen way behind and you just want to surprise somebody with a big threat at the, at the end of the game. Love it. Yeah. Also runs Rune of Sustenance, which is a two mana uh, rune from Kaldheim that gives life gain. So it's searchable life gain that you can have against aggro decks. It's kind of a little bit like searching up a shadow spear in matchups where you feel like you're going to die to like bad life totals. Um, Rune Sustenance also draws a card when it comes into play, which is nice, but it is what it is. The thing that is, I think, scary about these cards, all these one-ofs that are in here or, or the new auras in this one, is that none of them buff stats, right? So Kai's Ghost Farm doesn't buff stats. Um messenger speed doesn't rune sustenance doesn't and i think when you think about this you're like oh, i have to make light light paw bigger i have to make light paw bigger and really as long as you're getting ethereal armor and all the glitters out there one of those you, the card will get bigger with whatever enchantments you put on top of it so you know you're doing things like play a ethereal armor go get messenger speed play a blah 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 you know and so it, it works pretty well actually i found this list to be a lot better to play it it has more play to it honestly it has more plans that you can do it gives you an ability to protect proactively protect light paws when you don't have a protection creature so if someone taps out you can drop light paws and then throw ethereal armor on it and go get a ghost form so that you have that protection online without needing mana um i just felt like this was a lot better and also the last thing is it's way 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 easier to get light paws to be huge 
in this deck because you're searching up all these one-ups and you don't run out of target. So if you start to go off and chain with a bunch of different things, you know, I think I had a 1920 light pause at one, at one point with trample in one game that I was playing. And, uh, that sounds you know, pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. Especially when you have Eidolons and, and other things around. So I went three, two with the, with the Mart, with the Kai's ghost form version. I went two, three with the white version, not like the most amazing record, but I do think that the deck is fun. I think it's extremely cheap. So you're really likely to see it in pioneer. And I think it's really good. You know, if you happen to have lands and thought seasons, it's 50 bucks to finish the deck, maybe less even. I wonder how much it would cost to upgrade the challenger deck into a light pause version. Um, I have the Challenger deck. That's what I will be doing. I already have my thought seasons and everything. I think it's like 30, 40 bucks, basically. Dave, you know what? I've got one light pause for you that I cracked Ooh, up. Nice. So I really like this deck. It was fun to play. I would probably go back for it. I don't know if it's great, but I think that you're going to see a lot of it just because it's cheap. It's yeah. less than 100 tickets on Moto 2. Probably pretty fast to play, I imagine, too. Yeah, yeah. Although the the version with Kai's Ghost Form does get a little more grindy because sure. of Kai's Ghost Form, Luris comes up more often. All those kind of things. Can I uh, briefly touch on some Pioneer experiences? This is actually sure. from last week when I played uh, Shrapnel Blast Burn, featuring mm-hmm. featuring Reinforced Ronin, which is a card mm-hmm. that we talked about in the spoiler episode, which is the red one drop. 2-2 with haste that returns to your hand at the end step. Um, and you can also channel it for one in a red to draw a card, correct? Correct. Okay. That's right. So I saw this on Twitter user uh, Felix Slew. I believe Fireshoes retweeted this. And Shrapnel Blast is a one in a red instant where you can sacrifice an artifact as an additional cost to casting it, and it deals five damage to any target. That's a lot of damage for two mana. So what this deck is looking to do, make some artifact fodder while during doing other Bernie things at the same time. So it leans a little bit on newer card Voldaren Epicure, which is the red vampire that when it ETBs, it deals one damage to each opponent and makes a blood token. So this does what a lot of good weird cards that you wouldn't expect being good do is they just make another piece of cardboard. And in this deck, uh, an important kind of cardboard, an artifact, and also doing at least one damage. So you've probably seen this card kind of all over the place. Like it's it's kind of outrageous how much impact like just a one drop that makes two pieces of cardboard can can have on Magic. But it yeah, does. Thraben Inspector, right? Yeah, it's it's Thraben Inspector, and I think in a in a color combination that. I think sometimes does more interesting things with artifacts like red stuff, a little bit more than white stuff. I could be wrong with that, but uh, it also features a couple of Bomac courier and of course, reinforced Ronin, which is in fact an artifact as well. So what this is really doing is just trying to put some damage in on your opponent with burn spells, uh, monastery, swift spear, well, Darren Epicure, shrapnel blast, um, reinforced Ronin, stuff like that. The thing that I felt about, this deck in particular is one, it could use more artifact targets. Like it just didn't really have enough, like uh, even counting reinforced Ronin, which like at some point it's going to get stonewalled. So you can just cast it out and then blow it up with like uh, for a three mana uh, deal five damage. Hopefully you got some value out of reinforced Ronin besides that in the first place. But 
I just felt like this deck was putting damage out slower than other decks in the format, like Affinity, especially, or uh, in Soul style Affinity strategies. I just I couldn't really keep creatures on the board um, or resolve spells versus something like Is It Phoenix, which of course had kind of its its really good end game. Uh, I don't think there's a lot to this deck. I think it was just a fun thought experiment to see, hey, what can we do with, with uh, Shrapnel Blast? I'm I really wasn't sure on reinforced Ronin. It's it was some pretty high highs and some pretty low lows. Like there were some decks I played that just didn't have blockers <laughs> or a lot of interaction, and I got like I was like, you're really not going to kill this reinforced Ronin, huh? So I'll just get like <laughs> six dam six damage in with it. But I mean, you're basically playing like a shock with buyback, so like it's not that amazing. I mean, it's okay. It's buyback zero, which yeah. isn't that bad either. Yeah. But. So I mean, like. Uh, uh, have any of you played with or against Reinforced Ronin yet? I haven't got a chance Only to Only Limited. Yet. Yeah. It's... It seems bad for Limited for it, what it's it, worth, it unless you it, have a good Synergy deck. It can't but. It can't block, it, you know what I mean, which is a real issue. Like, it just, it's just, it's two damage that goes back to your hand, so, like, you just can't do a lot with it. It's not that flexible. At least in Shrapnel Blast, it's like an artifact target, and it ultimately can cycle itself for two. So it's whatever. Um... I just wanted to talk about it because I thought it was an interesting first go around with reinforced Ronin, not in modern. So maybe it just needs to be in a higher powered format where there's another enough other juicy targets where it's like, sure, I can maybe just get a couple dash shots in with this and it's worth a card, but or I can cycle it later, like a like a Horizon Land or something like that. So anyway, that is my uh, my first and last thought on Shrapnel Blast Burn and Pioneer. You know, I, I was really excited about it, in particular with the spectacle cards. Like, you have Skewer here, but maybe Light Up the Stage as well. And the fact that you can cast it off a of Chandra 3, I thought was interesting. But maybe, like, it just wants to be in a burn deck, so you have you can't really go up to a 3-mana spell. That might also just be a standard move with it, too, where I think there's a mono-red deck in standard that has Ronin in it and has Chandra and some of these other cards that we've talked about that I, th I th maybe it's just not the right power level or the right shell for but even pioneer i mean like what this the deck cut soul scar mage for ronin because it probably wanted the artifact synergy and just to test it and it's like you can't cut the thing that makes your opponent's creatures smaller you know when you when you when you need it to which is just which is a huge upside even if you're not removing them shrinking them can sometimes be enough so anyway yeah i still have some some faith in this card but maybe i'd i'd love to try the deck out myself I think just to see how bad it is compared to what you're you're saying, but we'll see. I mean, I th it, like I said, maybe it's just a standard level power card, and that's kind of what it is. What you do is you play it with Dragon Spark Reactor in limited, yeah. And then it's then it's off to the races. Yeah, that makes sense to me. All right, you guys, you guys want to go into some classic wind down fodder where we talk about something not magic related? Sounds fun. Yeah, if we have time. Is it steak? It's. I wish. Stay with us. All right, you guys teed me up on this one. I, I don't really plan on talking a lot about different card games here on the Dive Down, but I did play a different card game this weekend in paper uh, at my first Flesh and Blood ProQuest event this weekend. And ProQuest are essentially PTQs. You 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 go there, you win it, and you go to the Pro Tour. I, I like how Shane def 
define the tournament structure before explaining what flesh and blood is, assuming that everyone knows? Well, I guess that's a good We've point. We've all been on Twitter. We know. <laughs> so, yeah, you win, you go to the Pro Tour. It's in May in New Jersey, the 100K in prizes, yada, yada, yada. So the in New Jersey? Yeah, it's in Jersey. So the, the game... And that's where the winners go? Where do they send the losers? <laughs> Des Moines? The losers go back home, head, uh, head hang, head hung low. So the game isn't quite big enough to require like the PPTQ to RPT setup. Like that was like the last, what, four or five years of the Pro Tour being a thing in Magic. And I guess, Stan, you're right. I should talk about, I mean, Flesh and Blood. Yeah, it's just a, it's a card game that started in late 2019 in by a New Zealand company called Legend Story Studios. Uh, and you know, all know what happened in early 2020. The world blew up and things shut down and that really put a wrench in the in the, the workings of LSS and Flesh and Blood. And it started to, I think, really get a toehold as the you know everyone came back to life and was starting to do more things in real life because this game does have no digital component. It is designed as its slightly dorky and dumb name Flesh and Blood uh, will tell you is in, it's designed to play in Flesh and Blood. And which is a, an advantage that I'll talk about in a minute. So uh, ProQuest are about as big as most PPTQs I did experience, like 35 to 50 people duking it out over Swiss, top eights, the winner going to the, you know, getting the invite, special gold foil promo cards, which actually do have significant value, which is nice to actually get a promo card that's worth something. And But if you want to know a little bit more about Flesh and Blood, the professor has been talking about it in his YouTube a little bit. Uh, he has a pretty great learn-to-play uh, video and content. Uh, some folks in our Discord have been getting into it and learning it, which has been fun as well. And I think it's a really great game. Besides being like a collectible trading card game, it's not much like Magic. So I think there's just like there's there's no useful comparison between the two. They're very different games, but they're both fun collectible trading card games. And if you give me one of those, I might be interested. <laughs> And Shane, you know, you have a history of playing like Legends of Ruterra sure. and Eternal and some of these other magic competitors. Yeah. I've almost gotten the sense that Flesh and Blood has captured your imagination a little bit more than those other yeah, ones. Yeah, what's good about it is it's very different and it's very new. So it is a, I mean, it's, it's novel. Like it does not, it, you know, Eternal is very much like magic. Yes. Ruterra is less like magic, but similar. And what I like about flesh and blood is it is that it is a very different problem to solve and therefore is captivating in that it's something that grabs onto all sorts of stuff I like, which is collectability, which is good card design, which is one V one competitive card game playing. And if you know me, you know, I just get into stuff really deeply and I love unwrapping that new puzzle. And so it's just something that for right now, it's like, you know, it's, I'm, I'm, I will admit I'm slightly more interested in flesh and blood because it's new, but I'm sure in like a few months it'll be like, well, uh, I want to, I'm going to take a little break. Like after this pro quest, I'm actually taking a little bit of a break because I was thinking a lot about it and I want to think a little bit less. And so, uh, the, what's your favorite deck? I'll tell you about it. What's your, what's your, what's your it's prowess? Deck? It's, it's, you don't, don't explain oh, it. Just, okay. just what is? Oh, like, it's, I assume I know. I like Chain. Chain uh, is he's basically sort of like a Venge Viney. Uh, he uses the the Exile Zone to have a second hand, and it's just as fair. Uh, I mean, it's much more fair there 
but it's definitely just kind of like something I'm into and uh, I like using that space. Like underrate cards, but you get a second hand. So let's, let's go. Uh, my event report is that the whole point of this. Um, everyone I played with was awesome. The community here is really pleasant. Everyone's from Everyone ranges from pleasant enough to extremely nice. And that's been really great. We have a really dedicated group of people here in Colorado. They want to make it an awesome hub for the game. I think that it's succeeding. I went four and two. I finished like 12th out of the 37th. I felt like my losses were winnable, which is like fun. Like the game is always winnable within reach. Now on the spectrum of pleasant enough to extremely nice, where do you think you sit? I'm definitely the pleasant enough. Uh, <laughs> he admitted I wasn't going to say it. Uh, like three of my four wins were two life to like zero, which is saying something when the game starts at 40 life. I also, I also won a box from a door prize. So that was pretty sweet. And so of course, you know, I was wearing my N95 mask the whole time. You're still in a room with a bunch of other humans. So if anyone's anxious about paper play, I get it. Um, I'm monitoring cases. I'm boosted. I'm doing everything that I can to feel comfortable with the level of risk that I face. But all that being said, Man, competing with stakes, having a competitive goal for a paper card game feels pretty great to do again. Like, I just, I like having something to do with paper cards that I feel like, hey, if I win this, I can go do something cooler with my paper cards, along with the LGS play and stuff like that. The game has a high skill ceiling that I haven't even come close to. And I think a lower variance a little bit than magic. And so I'm, I'm really happy that fab is a thing that I can play in paper. I have magic to play digitally. And I think that I think players can definitely keep enjoying both games. I'm not, this is, this is not my leaving the podcast to be a fab pro. This is just me saying, Hey, uh, I had a good experience playing paper trading cards. Uh, and I, I'm hoping that this can continue as we continue to hopefully uh, fight back COVID and, and become a safer environment for all kinds of paper play masked and ma- eventually maskless Man, fingers crossed. I spent so much money on my mask. I'm never taking it off. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I like the anonymity anonymity. And it, and well, good, good, good job, Shane. I hope that you reach, if not exceed, your fab ambitions. I'm glad we haven't lost you yet, Stan. Stan, I know you're, you're going to play it one of these days. I know you refuse. I kind of do too. I do have two tales of Aria Blitz decks, but I've just looked at them <laughs> and then I put yeah. them in a box. Yeah, that was it. I, I would. It's, it's for me it's just like the economy of time and attention like yes I, it's really I hard have to prevent myself from doing it i i don't know anything about the game that makes me not want to play except i mean it's it's moderately expensive like it's everything's like modern prices which is like not the best thing in the world I, i'd rather play the pokemon card game because then i can like cast pikachus you know like an electric love mouse. i mean that's fair does fab have any electric mice all right we'll figure that out on that We'll figure that one out after the show. For now, that wraps up this week's episode. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. You can now leave us a rating on Spotify as well, which we certainly appreciate. If you'd like to submit a question to The Dive Down, you can tweet us at The Dive Down, all one word. You can email thedivedown at gmail.com. You can also leave an audio message that might appear in a future episode at podandbox.com slash the dive down. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash the dive down. 
You can also support us while playing Magic with a Mana Traders account. If you use promo code THEDIVEDOWN2022, all one word, get 15% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards via Mana Traders. And of course, you can support us and our friends over at Barrister and Man. If you need any soaps or grooming products, use promo code THEDIVEDOWN2022 to get 15% off your first order. Barrister and Man, you're going to like the way you smell. I guarantee it. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and have some fun!